those folks understand my twisted perspective and my my need to share the story in its full grim reality. Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Rain Gray. Here, we're going to talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The opinions expressed are mine and those of the guest. So, let's get started. What's up, my brothers and sisters? Today, I'm going to take you through the five most common questions that we get asked as firefighters. Now, caveat. These may not be the five most common questions that everybody's asked, but these are the five questions that I feel I get asked on a regular basis by family and friends. And the reason I want to share this with you is if you are not a firefighter, these are interesting questions to consider. And if you are a firefighter, these are interesting questions to consider again. Now, I know you've been down this path before. You've probably thought about these questions, and it's important to revisit the way that we answer them and revisit our thoughts on it because I think it can help reinvigorate and re-inspire and help you uh, remember the purpose uh, behind what we're doing. And um, so let's dive in. So I'm going to start in reverse order. Question number five, why did you become a firefighter? Or uh, ask a different way, which is why do you want to become a firefighter? So for those who are headed down this path or um, this is a really uh, important question to ask yourself because if you think about it, this job is dangerous and um, until you truly understand the nature of the risk that you're taking on, it's a really good question. Why would you want to do this job that can potentially give you cancer, can potentially lead to physical injury up to and including death in a variety of ways? Why would you want to do that? So the the answer to that question for me is uh, was born out of a uh, you know a job search while you know after I got out of the Marine Corps I was working uh, retail and working construction and and uh, a friend of mine got hired on by the fire department and uh, I had not a clue about this job so I I call her up and I said hey tell me more about what's what this job is that you just got and. Um, you know, in my mind's eye, I, I did not understand that it was a real professional career that you could be involved in. Even though when I was in high school, one of my high school buddies, uh, his father was an L.A. City firefighter. And, you know, he had told us a handful of stories. Didn't understand it then. When I was in the Marine Corps, met a guy who was uh, volunteering his time. Uh, one of my platoon sergeants had volunteered his time. And uh, he told us all about it didn't know anything. I didn't pay attention, didn't understand, wasn't catching on to it then. Um, Again, it wasn't until this friend got hired on and uh, is telling me all about the job. I I began to understand that the job is, you know, it's physical in nature. It's very hands-on. There's, you get to be outdoors, you're indoors some of the time. Um, There's a lot of uh, excitement in the job. And um, the, uh, there's things that are, there's a lot of variety and, and there's times when you're, um, every day you come to work, it's different. And so the, um, that variability was really exciting. And then on top of that, from as far as a career progression goes, there's, there's opportunities, you know, you can make a good living and then there's, there's opportunities for, uh, diversity in the work that you're doing. So you can start as a, a firefighter, become a paramedic, you can, you can, uh, drive the truck and pump it, become an engineer. Then you can become a captain and you start working in that capacity. There's all these different things. Plus you can diversify, go into special operations and, and do TRT and hazmat and these different types of things that, um, 
over the course of a career lend variety to what you're doing. And then the final piece of it, the, the thing that really sold it for me was the, the value uh, of the, the mission, right? You are, your job is to serve the community and provide a valuable service to our communities and where we all live. And to me, that was the capstone of this. So all these other, these intrinsic rewards that are built into the job. And on top of that, the mission, the primary objective of the, of the job is to serve the community. And for me, uh, you know, if you listen to, uh, one of the previous podcasts, uh, and I think it's episode three, we talk about the Roy Moore fire. Well, for me, I was looking for an opportunity in, in the work that I do to give back to the community and be of value. And I wasn't sure where that was going to come from. Sure. I was tinkering in retail and other places where you, where you're providing a service. But for me, that service was, it just wasn't being met. It wasn't the same. Uh, for me, having an opportunity to uh, step off of a fire truck and provide highly skilled, highly trained service in an emergency environment. For me, that was the the pinnacle of what I could be doing and uh, has proved to be very, very rewarding over the course of my career so far. And um, I'm going to keep going. So question five, that's the answer. Question number four, what is the best part about being a firefighter? Well, it starts with the answer to question number five, which is you have the you, you get the privilege of serving your community. So to me, that's a really, really big part of what I love about being a firefighter, if that's not already pretty obvious. So that value in the work that we do is very, very important to me. Also, the, the type of people who show up to be firefighters um, are very motivated. And that group of people, they're enthusiastic about the work, they're motivated, and so you get to be part of very high-functioning work groups, very high-functioning teams. You have people who are interested in being highly trained, highly skilled, and highly successful, and that is is a great environment to be working around. Now, the um, you know, on top of that, when you are doing these uh, high-risk work and you're doing um, stressful work, it, it helps build a sense of family because the, one of the, the critical components of working in that kind of environment is trust. So you, you have to have trust in amongst your coworkers in order to be successful because of the, the nature of the job, the danger of the job. You have to build that. You have to build the skills and build the trust in your coworkers because you are watching each other's backs in these, in these hostile environments. So what that leads to is a brotherhood, a sense of family. And to me, that is one of the, the, uh, one of the best parts of being a firefighter. You know, last year, my brother and my, uh, my brother and my dad died a week apart. And as you might imagine, it was incredibly devastating. And I kept thinking to myself, I don't, I don't know how you get through this. I don't know how we, I don't know how you do this. And, um, the, but I will tell you, the the brotherhood, the family is is how you get through it. You support one another, and the flurry of telephone calls and voicemails and you know, uh, Facebook Messenger posts, etc. That I received, and then on top of that, the the hand on the shoulder, the hug, the the inquiry, you know, how are you, was. Uh, was incredibly uplifting and strengthening for me. So when we talk about the best part of being a firefighter, it's part of, it's being part of a community that values the work that we do, that really values the mission 
and is truly uh, looking looking to support one another in the carrying out of that mission. Now, I'm not saying that we're perfect. I'm probably painting a picture of perfection here, but the reality is that uh, at the when when things get really hard, this this band of hard charging whack jobs are there to take care of one another, and it's really uh, that's my favorite part of being a firefighter. All right, number three, how hard is it to wear firefighting equipment? Well, I will just say it's it's freaking hard. And it's not just because the equipment, the equipment itself weighs 50 to 70 pounds, you know, depending on how much crap you carry in your pockets, etc. But it's about the environment that you're working in. So anybody can put the gear on and walk around in a parking lot and you're going to be hot and it's a little bit uncomfortable and it's a little bit heavy because it restricts your movement. It prevents airflow and traps your body heat, etc. But now you take that that load added to your body, which is increasing your heart rate, increasing your your uh, work output, etc. Now you add on hose packs and hand tools, and now you're going over to a door. You have to force a door. You're going to climb stairs, and now you, or you go into a, a zero visibility environment, and you are working. Um, you're you're working inside somebody's house. So you have furnishings and clothing, and um, and sometimes you have people who hoard garbage, and so you have a house full of stacks of paper or equipment or um or lord knows what all kinds of stuff inside the house so it, it creates bad footing and um, tripping hazards and you have uh, things that can fall down on you and then you have water and foam that we inject into the water which can be slippery um, so all these different things le make the wearing of the equipment that much more difficult uh, and then in my neck of the woods in 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 Arizona, you add the summer heat index, and um, now you add that that one more layer of complexity where you're already dehydrated, um, most likely, and your your body's already superheated. Your gear can be heated up, and now you're going into a hostile environment. Um, and it, it would be hard to imagine, but you come out of a firefight and you take your gear off, and it's 110 degrees, and it's a relief. Uh, Hard to imagine that, but it can be that way. So wearing the equipment's hard, but what I would like to say this is that the it doesn't matter who you are, right? Whether you're the biggest or smallest person on the job, it just doesn't matter because the the workload is the workload. You have to be uh, capable of bearing that load regardless. So the wearing of the equipment, the doing of the job, um, no matter who you are, you have to be able to, to meet those minimum capacity. So, you know, interestingly, you know, some of these you, you imagine in your mind, you know, this is how I imagined it when I first got on the job, that you have to be this big, large, robust person who's very strong. And, um, you know, but there's all, so not only do you have to be able to lift heavy things, but there's also a cardiovascular component. You know, like I said, you're putting this equipment on, your heart rate's elevated, and you've got to be able to have good cardiovascular conditioning. And then you, on the other end of that, you have a, you know, some small, slight whippet of a person who's got super high cardio, can run, you know, can run uh, miles and miles and miles and miles, but lacks the body mass or the uh, the general power uh to lift heavy things. So there's this balance that you have to strike between uh, all the different modalities. You've got to be powerful. You've got to have good cardiovascular conditioning. You've got to have strength. And then on top of that, you just have to have mental toughness because when you're in the heat and it's physically demanding and your body's restricted, your movement's restricted by your equipment and 
the heat's pressing down on you. You get zero visibility, and the the it's the conditions are slippery, and and the footing's unsettled. Um, you've got to have uh, this this wide array of physical capacity to be able to do the job. So I don't care who you are. Um, you have to be able to meet those metrics. And, um, and then there's a certain, the last thing on top of all that is a mental toughness. So you have to have a willingness to absorb the impact of, uh, all these difficult things and press on and understand what you're trying to accomplish, understand your mission and, and, and push through all these difficult things. So how hard is it to wear firefighting equipment? It's challenging. Uh, it's not, it's not, uh, impossible, but it does take a certain amount of commitment and, uh, uh, to a wide variety of training modalities and a commitment to, uh, uh, to the cause, if you will, uh, mental toughness. You gotta, you gotta have a, a no quit kind of attitude to be able to do this. Um, that's my opinion. Uh, question number two, uh, what do you do when you pull up to a house that's on fire? So the great question, right? This is the the essence of what we do. How do we solve these problems? And this is a loaded question because when you pull up on an event, there are a wide variety of variables that are present. And we have, uh, you know, we're showing up with a certain amount of resources. And so we have to assess whether or not those resources are going to be adequate. And then we have to uh, assess what the emergency is and, and what is happening? What what the what is the problem that's taking place? And um, and what can we do about it? So we couch that in tactical objectives. So we've said that the most important thing on the fire ground is life safety. And so when we pull up, we're looking for and assessing for the presence of victims, right? Are they present? Should they be present? And then if they are, where would they be? What are we getting reports from people it, depending on the time of day and the nature of the occupancy? So, for example, if it's a residential structure in the middle of the night, do people typically live there? Yes, that's when they're where there would be. Right. So we think about that type of scenario versus a commercial occupancy where, you know, it's like an auto zone in the middle of the night. Are there going to be people there? The probability of that is very, very low. So our first thought when we pull up to a structure is, are there people present and, and do they need to be rescued? Yes or no. And if yes, how do we, if, how do we make that rescue happen? So sometimes that means we pull hose lines into certain positions and, and protect the people, or we take the hose line in and we start searching in the structure to find those people. Um, so those are decisions driven by where the fire is, how much fire there is, where the smoke is at, um, the nature of the smoke, how much pressure is behind it, how much heat's inside that smoke, etc. So those are all factors that drive our ability to affect rescue. The second piece is, um, is fire control. And I'm, I'm saying kind of first and second, sometimes those are interchangeable depending on the nature of the structure and depending on where the fire is located and the variables, et cetera. So the second piece of this is, is fire control, is getting ourselves in front of the fire, um, figuring out where it's located and then how we prevent it from spreading further in the occupancy, um, et cetera. So um, this involves us getting, uh, looking at the building, understanding how a building is built, where, uh, the void spaces are inside the building, in the walls, in the floors, in the, in the roof, etc. Um, where fire can travel, 
uh, understanding the behavior of the fire is really, really important in our ability to control it. So if we understand those variables, we can get ourselves in front of it and, um, and get our hands wrapped around this fire. So by putting hose lines in certain positions, we get in front of the fire and then we start squirting water and we, we change the chemistry and put the fire out. So, and the last thing that we're looking to do is conserve the property. So we want to do as little damage as possible. We want to, well, not only protect it from fire, but from smoke and from water. We bring all this water and foam in there and, and, um, we, you know, we start pulling the ceilings apart and the walls apart and that can create damage, but it gets all over people's furniture, et cetera. So we try to cover furniture. Uh, we'll clump it into the middle of the room. We try to cover it and try to conserve it, protecting photos and personal documents and, and furniture and things like that. So it's really, really important as we pull up, you know, when you say, what do you do? How do you, you know, address a house that's on fire? There's a lot of things to take into consideration, but we use those three pieces, you know, victims, fire control and property conservation, to sort of those tactical objectives to start driving the way in which we deploy our, our resources and our hand lines, et cetera, into positions to start protecting um, and saving those different elements. So um, that's how we do that. So last question, question number one. And this is this is question number one because it's, to me, uh, one of the more challenging questions that people ask. You get it a lot at like family functions or, but you know, when you haven't seen someone in a long time, they'll ask you, how has work been? And the, and the question's usually like, what's the worst thing you've ever, the worst call you've ever been on? And early on, I would take people very literally and I would tell them the worst call I'd ever been on. And I would tell them about blood and guts and torn up bodies and, and destroyed lives with all the enthusiasm of, a, you know, of an MMA fight, you know, how much, how exciting and interesting and dynamic it was. And to me, it was. And when I share it with the boys in the firehouse, you know, to me, uh, we would have this, this connecting, this bonding moment as we talked about some of the difficult things that we saw. But this, I, I, this is a question that I don't answer anymore because when you're surrounded by your fire family, it's one thing. Those folks understand my twisted perspective and my, my need to share the story in its full grim reality. But the unacquainted and the uninitiated do not understand and they, well, not only do they look at me like I'm a psychopath, but it can be a little bit traumatic for them. And I think that it's best that they just, they already understand that we deal with difficulty and that we deal with tough situations, but they have a, a bit of a veil of secrecy behind what it's really like. And I don't think it's fair to violate that necessarily. So I try to focus on the funny the humorous, the lighthearted, the technicalities of some of technical calls, maybe, and you know, um, talk about the details of how we put a fire out. For example, like in question number two, how you stretch hose lines, what that's like, how hot it can be. Um, but I don't focus on the fire fatalities. I don't focus on the trauma fatalities, the pediatric calls, things like that, where it can quickly become overwhelming to those who are not exposed to it on a regular. 
So that question's always been a challenge for me. I'm curious to hear how other people answer that question. You know, instead of what's the worst call, I try to make it what's the most interesting, what's the funniest. I'm assuming that's what they're asking. I'm I'm not going to, they don't want to know about the trauma, so I don't go there anymore. So think about it. Think about how the effect that you're having on people when you answer these questions and how you can uh, inspire and uh, educate and help them understand what it is that we do and how we do it. The, uh, the job is fun and rewarding and challenging and dynamic and, uh, and it can leave absolutely indelible marks on your soul. So be mindful of that. And, uh, you know, as you go about your daily business, think about what you do as a professional firefighter. Think about how you can make yourself more successful, more effective, and um, how we can, you know, reflect on these questions, these five questions that people ask us and, and how you answer them and how you answer them for yourself. You know, what it is it, what is it in, in these elements that you, that really drive the way that you do business and help you help motivate you and inspire you to be a more effective and more thoughtful, caring, uh, connected firefighter. Anyways, that's all I got, man. Uh, keep leaning in, keep getting after it and, um, get some.